Elizabeth Evans and I'm a homeschooling mom of four young kids. I'm figuring this out as I go, but I'm here to talk to Bonnie, who has been writing and speaking on the subject for over a decade and has been homeschooling for three decades. My name's Bonnie Landry. I've got seven kids. They're ages 13 to 33. I've been homeschooling for 29 years. I'm a wife, a mom, a grandma, um, I'm a speaker and a writer, and I'm an advocate of joy. So uh, we're here to provide this podcast so that homeschooling can look like you imagined it to be. Welcome back to the podcast, Make Joy Normal. Uh, hi, Elizabeth, how are you doing? Hi, great, how are you? I'm very well, yes, lovely. Good. Looking forward to, I know we've, we've got a boatload of questions this week, so I'm really looking forward to what you have pulled out of that. By the way, uh, for all of you who are listening, Elizabeth is a wizard at pulling together questions and, and sort of organizing them thematically. And we've gotten a ton of questions this week, so uh, I'm excited to hear what is up. Right, and for those <laughs> whose questions aren't answered this week, I have them for future episodes, so don't, don't worry. Don't panic. Yeah, don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> if you're really panicking, you can message me. <laughs> right. Okay, so I figured that this would be a great time to start talking about planning for the year, especially as August is, what, two days away, a day away now? Uh, okay. at, at the time we're recording. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I figured it was time to kind of maybe buckle down and talk a little bit more about resources for each subject. That's a great so, idea. Yeah. The first question I want to ask is when you are planning for your year, do you choose resources and books for the whole year or do you break it down, you know, maybe three months at a time or for now until Christmas and then, you know, plan for the rest of the year? What do you do? Right. That's a great question. Um, so I would say, depending on the topic and depending on the age of my kids, uh, that would that would vary whether or not I chose something for the whole year or chose something sort of to do for a period of time. When my kids were younger, I certainly would break it down, especially if, say, for example, you have a 10-year-old who's going to wig out at an inch-thick math book, okay? I might break it down. Okay, for these three months, we're going to do this. Okay, so that they're not overwhelmed by the inch or inch and a half thick, you know, uh, what's the math program that everybody was Saxon. using when I first started? Sorry, Saxon math, right? Looking at that and going, no, you know, I can't possibly do that. So I would break that down into smaller bite-sized chunks. Some kids don't have an issue with it, right. but some definitely do. So typically... I would choose something for the year, say they're whatever we're doing for science might be for the year or for the semester. Okay. Um, I'm just going to talk, let's, let's, let's narrow the focus a little bit. Okay. So let's okay. sort of talk about kind of the kindergarten to grade seven sort of pre, you know, elementary school years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Primary elementary, because things definitely changed as my kids got older because they were really picking their own stuff. Sure. So let's talk about those years. It'll be easier. Okay. So, there might be, a, for example, science we often did together as a family in those years. So I would choose something, and it was more about, let's go through this book. Say I have a book on astronomy or a book I got um, 
we used a lot, the World Book has uh, a series called Young Scientist. Mm -hmm. So I would just pick out two or three of the Young Scientist books. Okay, well, let's do this one on geology, or let's do this one on um, space, mm -hmm. right? And however long that took. So usually maybe it was a month or two. So I would definitely break that down into segments, but I'd have an idea of what I was going to also cover for that year. Of course, being open to the segues that interest-led learning may take us, okay? Mm -hmm. So if they got super jazzed about planets and that's all I wanted to talk about, I'm going to obviously spend more time on that, okay? Okay. So uh, other subjects depends, again, when my kids were younger, if I wanted to study the Middle Ages with them, I would basically exhaust it until they weren't interested anymore. So that might be the whole year. It might be just a few months. It might even be just a few weeks. Okay. okay, but I would think, okay, I want to study this and, uh, you know, have them get jazzed about it. And if they weren't getting jazzed about it, then I would move on to whatever topic was, was the next one on my, you know, little brain list of things I'd like to study. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So now I want to try, I know we'll go off on tangents, but I want to try and break it down by subject. Yeah. Um, yeah. just for organizations purposes. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the big ones um, we could start with is math. Now you've talked about chocolate chip math. Um, I've mentioned and you've mentioned Saxon math. And then you've also talked about Life of Fred, which we actually purchased the first book of that. Um, and before I finish the question, I have to say it is awesome. I just, yeah. I love it. Um, it's fun, isn't it? It is. And I like that it offers, it's not strictly math. Um, there's like fun little things like you can learn Latin roots. And I think one of the books even talks about um, like space, like constellations in the learning. Yeah. And just the stories are funny and goofy and all that, that, are, that sort of go along with it. But I think Life of Fred does a really good job in making math a life skill as opposed to some subject you have to learn in order to, you know, graduate eventually. Right? right, right. Yeah, I think it does a good job of that. Well, how many times do you say or hear kids say, when am I ever going to use this? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's true. You know, it's it's hard to figure out how you're going to use Pythagorean yeah. I was that kid saying, how am I ever going to use this? And then the one of the first jobs I got when I was out of high school was selling carpet and drapery. Right. Okay. Well, that's all math. Yeah. You know, and it was, but suddenly it made sense, you know, mm -hmm. because it, it had an, an application. Right. So, yeah. no, I think, I think Life of Fred does a really good job of that for sure. And, and it's I, just fun. I will say, so um, we got our Life of Fred book and I was flipping through it and there was a little bulletin or a bullet point and it, I forget the context, but it was talking about a Latin word and my brother already slammed me for mispronouncing it. I think it's umbra, which means shadow in Latin. Right. Well, my son and I, we just finished reading Peter and the Shadow Thieves, which is the second book in Peter and the Star Catchers, a series about the prequel to like how Peter Pan became Peter Pan. Okay. And the, the evil character in the book is named Lord Umbra. And the whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is a really dumb name for a villain. It doesn't sound that villainous. Right. And then here I find out that, well, he probably got the name from the root of, you know, Latin for right. shadow. Because <laughs> the book is about shadow thieves. It all made sense. <laughs> okay, yes. Amazing. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, let's circle back around to the question now that I've gone on a tangent. <laughs> Do you have any other recommendations for math curriculum for for choosing math? Yeah. Well, I feel to some degree I'm a I'm a gross amateur and also a, a, a an expert in math programs because we use several different math programs over the years. When we were first looking for math books, almost everybody we knew was using Saxon. There were other workbooks out there available. Um, one was called a Becca, one was called the Plaid series, because all the covers had some different kind of plaid on them. Um, and I felt that Saxon was the most, um, probably the one that had the best reviews that most people use, they felt comfortable with. I, I found it, you know, pretty boring. Um, but it got the job done right. and I think it was a good solid program and it was cyclical. Most, most math programs are cyclical that you, you, you know, that it will, whatever modules you've already learned, it will revisit them every single um, time you do a chapter, right? It revisits the things you've already right. learned for, for the sake of remembering them, yeah. you know, so that's, that's a kind of a good policy. Um, so we used a lot of Saxon, I would say for the first, First 10 or 15 years of homeschooling is primarily Saxon. Then some other resources fell into our laps uh, that would be, you know, sort of more high school related. Jacob's Math was a, definitely a high school program. Um, and then another series called Key 2. Now, when I used the Key 2 Math, uh, it was when I had a kid who was a bit wiggy about the big giant math textbook that they were going to have to use for the whole year that that was something that was off-putting or scary or or um you know kind of causing a problem the 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 nice part about key to math so it's key to geometry key to fractions key to decimals key to whatever i can't remember the different subjects that they cover uh the nice part about them is there will be say six or seven booklets and they're small you know maybe mm -hmm. a quarter inch thick at the most and they're a workbook you work in them very they're very interesting program and they really delve deeply into the one subject area now they're not cyclical so there would be supplementary in that way okay. if you were teaching your child long division you'd want to make sure that you were sort of using something that would make sure you did a long division question or two every couple of days so that you were remembering how to do that mm -hmm. but if they're struggling but Okay, so here's here's a tip. Okay, I'm going to give you a big tip here. If your kid wigs out about a, a big book, a textbook, but you don't really know how to teach math, you can look at the textbook and see what they're teaching and just break it down so that you're saying, okay, we're going to learn uh, long addition. Okay, we're going to learn how to carry. Okay, don't move off of that until your kid has mastered it, right? Don't bother with caring if your kid is totally out in left field and don't understand what's going on, okay? Mm -hmm. But you can use things like key two as a little simple um, focus on one particular area. And the nice thing about key two, it very much works on mastery. And, excuse me, <clears throat> you can, um, uh, do book one. If they sail through book one, you could buy book two and, and do that until they're challenged to the point where they can no longer do it. You could stick with, you know, say key two decimals until you've maxed them out on their ability, right? <coughs> Sorry. And uh, so that's a way of sort of breaking things down. So you have uh, kids who are wigged out about the big textbook, aren't thinking about it. Okay. You're the person saying, 
uh, okay, let's work on this particular topic and you know what topic to address with them because the textbook is telling you what to address next. Okay. So that's a really good way of not you not freaking out that you don't know what to do next and the mm -hmm. kid not freaking out because they have a giant text textbook in front of them or a giant workbook. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's one option. Um, in the last few years, I would say, um, eight or 10 years with my younger kids, we've used teaching textbooks. So teaching textbooks is a program that comes with a, a workbook, sorry, with a, uh, a text. It's coil bound. So it's nice. It lays flat. It's easy to use. Uh, and it comes with a computer um, interface as well so that you have somebody's teaching the lesson on a screen mm -hmm. because I'm sort of screen averse and because I just felt it was a time that I would like to spend with my child. You know, it'd be better to break it down into 10 or 15 minutes and do it with them. So I know what they understand and don't understand. I just use the textbooks with them. Pro mostly some of my, a couple of my kids, uh, you know, played with the, the, um, online lessons. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not live online. It's a recorded lesson. Um, the guy is very good people. My kids who liked that system appreciated the lessons, okay. but um, I would say overall, we most of the traction we gained was just sitting down and doing the textbook, sitting side by side with them uh, while they, you know, worked on whatever new concept was being pre presented. Again, a cyclical system so that they're revisiting all the things they've learned up till now, uh, every lesson or two. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt that teachings textbooks was very clearly laid out very well explained, really broke things down and didn't assume that I knew anything. I found Saxon could assume that the student knew something. So they would introduce a concept without uh, possibly going through a say a variation on a, on a math problem okay. uh, without sort of expressing, okay, here's a variation that you might experience. And here's some questions that have that variation. Saxon would tend to jump into the variation mm -hmm. uh, without giving some context where teaching textbooks would say, here are some variations you might experience and here's some practice to, to deal with that variation. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I personally love teaching textbooks. I think it's a great course. And I took my kids right through algebra with teaching textbooks. So definitely great for primary. I think they start around grade four, definitely great for primary uh, for um, elementary school and taking you right up to high school. I have never used um, math you see, but I have heard some really, really good things about it. Okay. Especially for kids who are math averse that it's uh, it's a great program and also goes, takes you right up to high school. Yeah. So um, what about you? What have you used for your kids for math? Um, just Saxon. And I'm excited about the life of Fred because I've got my, almost six-year-old loves math. He looks at the grade three Saxon math workbook and he's like, yes, let's get this going. Yeah. My almost nine-year-old is like, nope, not doing it. I don't want to, he doesn't like fact sheets. He doesn't like work <laughs> Don't sheets. need this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're probably going to get him in the life of Fred because there's, it's not worksheet based at all. Um, yeah. It's, you know, at the end of a chapter, you write down answers to questions and that's that yeah hey okay reminding me of something a homeschool pro tip i had over the years sometimes kids who were two three years apart one's a math person one's not and and so there's this sort of um you know thing that can happen if you just put them in separate 
programs, like teaching textbooks for one, Life of Fred for one, teaching textbooks for one, Saxon for another, then there's not that sort of like, oh, he's catching up to me, or oh, um, I'm almost at his level, or there's just, it just sort of takes all of that um, sort of competition out of it, or worrying yeah. that you're not doing, uh, you know, your grade level or whatever. Right. Um, so I think that's a really important thing for parents to, to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially cause this past year, um, my soon to be six year old started with second grade math this year. This is his first year homeschooling and he did great. And his brother was fine with it, except a couple times when they were doing the math, the fact sheets, you know, addition, subtraction, they would, one would say, let's race. And the other was not cool with it. And so they see the brother <laughs> writing answers and they're getting all upset. I said, I'm not racing. <laughs> well, my two boys, they're three years apart. And one was a math person, one was not. And I remember the, the reason why it came to my brain that I needed to put them in separate programs was because I'd be doing math with the older one. And I was saying, you know, he could hear me, the younger one could hear me saying, you know, okay, well, can you, you just, just do this and think of this? And this is, what do you think the answer would be? And the three years younger one would shout out the answer and he would say, yep. make him stop doing that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Same problem. Okay, I just here. have to, I just have to take a commercial break. I usually okay. drink wine while we're having our, our, we're well, yeah. we're, um, videoing this. And uh, this wine is so <laughs> it's a it's a Barbera from uh, the Piemont region in Italy. Uh, Barbera is a wine that is um, Barbera is a wine that is um, low tannin wine. So my husband can drink it. He's because he can't have too too much in the way of tannins. Okay. Uh, but so I'm just going to do an infomercial for this wine because I have never had it before. It's so good, okay. and I will put it in the show notes. <laughs> Because why would we not do that? Right. Our poor parents, they need to know these things. That's great. That's great. I was here <laughs> sipping my protein shake because I just got that. No, I just, every time I see you put that to your lips, I just think, oh, you poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> why are you having protein shakes? <laughs> oh, to build muscles. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, right. Health. Okay, back to it. Where were we? Okay, so um, do you have any other recommendations for math or should we move on? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly for high school, I would have some thoughts on math, but that's just sort of a very uh, glossed overview of the kinds of programs that we used. Yeah. Um, I think math is very much dependent on your kid, right? Sure. Yeah. And what kind of program would is best suited for them. So, you know, in a sense, like we've had Saxon, we have teaching textbooks, we have, you know, you collect things over the years, right? We had Life of Fred. Um, and I would say that you need to be sensitive to what that child needs right. um, and and what's going to be the best thing for them to explore. So it's it's kind of good in a way to get feedback from other parents on, on what worked and for what kind of personality or what kind of learner mm -hmm. so that, you know, you may end up collecting more types of math programs than you ever imagined. Right. But that's that's kind of a good thing, right? To have yeah. those, those uh, things you can rely on and not feel like, okay, we, we invested in Saxon and we must do Saxon. You know what I mean? Because right. for, another, for one kid, it might not, it just might not be the thing that's going to work, right? Yeah. And I think and, it's really great to recognize when you know what works for one kid and doesn't work for another it's okay to do different things like you were saying yeah you know, like 
Yeah, and I would suggest to parents if you if you have kids in primary, you know, K to three, definitely look at our podcast on the on the um, chocolate chip math. I'll put that in the show notes as well, just so they don't have to try and sift through which podcast that was. Yeah. Um, so that because really that's a great way to get the foundation that you need to move on to something else more confidently. Right. Yeah. Right, and also to get a feel for what your learner needs. Right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I think also I was, when I was first starting, I was afraid to jump ship and go to something else. Yeah. And now, you know, that I'm two, three years into this, I, I was really excited this year to plan. And my husband and I, we went to christianbooks.com cause they have a lot of homeschooling right. curriculums and yeah. we were looking through stuff and looking at what we had and, um, just kind of putting together the year and it was fun and um yeah I could it is fun it's really fun right and so don't uh don't get stressed out now this year this doesn't really apply for this year but let's assume this podcast is going to you know be timeless okay (laughs) (laughs) um that one of the I think one of the worst mistakes that parents can make is going to a conference um where there's a ven there's ven vendors and feeling pressure to buy things because it all sounds so good. Okay. First of all, I would say one, two things. One, absolutely support your vendors. If you go to a conference, support those vendors. Those vendors are the people who are sifting through all the material to bring it to you reviewed and curated and you know support them don't buy on amazon if you're going to save a couple bucks buy from those vendors because they are the people bringing those reviews and and uh, curated materials to you so we want to keep those people going right and if it costs you over the course of a year if it got you 30 or 40 dollars more to buy through uh, those homeschool vendors do it anyways, but don't feel pressured to buy at a conference. Okay. Take down their coupon code, take down their information and sift through it. And this is the question you should be asking yourself. Will this curriculum, uh, add to or detract from the quality of my life with my children? Right. Okay. And so you can really only effectively ask that question if you have time to reflect on it. Right. Okay. It's really important not to be, even if you had to pay a little bit more for it, don't impulse buy because it sounds so great, you know, support them buy online, do what you need to do, but don't be pressured to buy at a conference unless it's something you've gone with, you know, that is on your list already. But if you see something you think, Oh, you know, this, you know, $300 um, curriculum that I, you know, is going to cover five years just sounds perfect for my family. Mm-hmm. Think about it first. Think about it first and think about how it's going to affect the quality of your family time together. If you have any angst or stress about it, it's don't, just don't. Right, right. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's segue into history, my favorite. Oh, <laughs> me too. Um, well, I mean, we've, I think we've dappled in history um in previous podcasts um and we've talked about um story of the world and uh, what's the other one the story big... of civilization yes yeah, story of yes. civilization um, okay do you have any other recommendations 
Uh, well, first of all, let me say this. Next podcast, next week, we will be interviewing the guy, the author of Story of Civilization. I'm, I'm super so excited. excited. So this is the first yeah. time we've done an interview, but we can just grill him. Yeah. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Philip Campbell, and you can find him at philipcampbell.net if you're interested in next week's podcast. That's what we'll be doing. Um, in terms of a curriculum, I have never really used a, a set out curriculum okay. for studying history. Okay. Um, what I have done is looked at world book articles. Um, yeah, as you know, I'm a big fan of world book encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. If we want to study a particular era, I break out the world book article. I look at the outline. At the end of every long article, there's an outline that breaks down what the whole article covered. And that's a great place to start for planning a, a historical study. Okay, you know, photocopy it, just check things off as you study them, you know. So we've relied really heavily on uh, the, just our World Book Encyclopedias to study history and also um, the eyewitness books put out by Dorling Kindersley uh, okay. are fantastic. They make, so for those of you not familiar, Eyewitness does a huge selection of books on both social studies and science. Okay, like probably a hundred books, maybe more. And some Are of them will those be ones that when you flip through, they've got the main picture and then they break off into little. Um... Yeah, they're very visually attractive. I don't think I have one up here, so I can't show it. Very visually attractive. So if you yeah. go on Amazon or wherever you're buying books, uh, or you know, pop into your local bookstore and look at their eyewitness books. All the eyewitness books are kind of the same format. And do you have one? Okay, that'd be I great might. if you could Let show it. Okay. So I'll just keep talking. Uh, the format is really uh, visually appealing and really gets kids engaged. So basically any historical period you study, I've just been describing eyewitness Sorry, I'll let you. I've just been describing eyewitness books while you went to get your book. Okay. Um, I don't think this but, is an eyewitness, so it's scholastic, but it might be similar. To... Great animal search. No, different. This, no, these are totally different. Okay. These are great. We have we have several of these. Um, the great animal search, the great history search, the great United States search, you know, whatever. There's tons of these books. Our kids loved those, yeah. but they're different. So okay. eyewitness are very visually attractive. Uh, so it'll say, for example, it'll, it'll have a, a spread on, um, say the book is on ancient Greece. So it'll have a two page spread of, um, you know, weapons used during ancient, uh, Greek times, you know, and then, uh, food, what kind of food, what kind of recreation, just a really lovely, uh, text to go along with any historical study, a great book for the sort of strewing method or yes. Okay. So um, Elizabeth is holding up her phone with, uh, it's probably Google. Amazon you're on. Yeah, Google yeah. search. Shark, space, farm, mummies. Um, okay. There's there's so many books uh, that Eyewitness puts out. And I just, I, I love them. We have a huge collection of them. Okay. And, and also almost every public library carries a huge selection of them as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, this year we're doing, um, we have all of the story of the world books. So we're doing the ancient history um, and what I did is I looked up a bunch of nonfiction books to read along with my kids for each. Nice. So yeah. We're doing like, um, with ancient history, we're learning a little bit about China. So we're going to read the Silk Road, 
Um, and nice. I got a bunch of books from thriftbooks.com. If you've not heard of it, you can- Thrift is you, amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love them. Um, but I bought a bunch of books um, like that talk about the pyramids and King Tut. I'm not going to try pronouncing his full name. Tutankhamun, um, <laughs> as far as I know. Tutankhamun. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So um, Someone will correct me on that. I'm, I'm positive. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what we're doing as of now. Um, but one of the questions for... Um, from somebody, and I don't know her name, but um, it's basically what happens when you're studying and you kind of go off on a rabbit trail. How far do you take that before you circle back? Or do you just keep going and then, oh, hey, we're learning something new in history now? Right. Okay. That's, that's a really good question. Her name is Lori. Okay. Okay. Hi, Lori. I just remember, I happen to remember the question. Yes. And, uh, so that would very much be another sort of it depends question mm -hmm. because I, I like rabbit trails mm -hmm. if they have historical value and I don't have a timeline in my brain that my kids, we must complete middle ages this year. Okay. So for example, if we were starting the Middle Ages and we started that with the fall of Rome, okay, so roughly we consider the Middle Ages to be, um, to have started at the fall of Rome, okay? Right. If my kids got really hung up, if we, they didn't know much about Rome, if they got really hung up on sort of the fall of Rome, I would want to spend some time on that, mm -hmm. right? Um, and even if it was to the, um, to the detriment of delving more deeply into the Middle Ages, the fact that they're really jazzed about the fall of Rome and why Rome fell, you know, it's an important question historically. And also it, they're interested now, so they're going to remember, mm -hmm. right? So we have to always bear that in mind. So after, you know, if, if they wanted to just discuss that for an afternoon, great. If they wanted to spend another week or so, okay, I'd like to know more about the fall of Rome. Like the Middle Ages isn't going to make sense to me until I understand more about Rome and why it fell. Mm -hmm. So if they were really sort of pulling to do more, I would absolutely do more. Okay. You know, so very much interest based. Uh, so that we kind of exhausted it before we moved on. Right. Um, if I had, if for some reason I had a timetable in my brain, say for example, I, I needed, like we talked about last week, if I needed to submit, mm -hmm. um, you know, data or if or I just even had a real bee in my bonnet that I must complete the middle ages this year, yeah. uh, that then I would maybe spend a week or two on it and then say, okay, uh, let's go back to the Middle Ages now that we have a better understanding of the fall of Rome and move forward, right? Okay. If yeah. you're reading novels to your kids based in historical periods, it's a guarantee it's going to capture their interest, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're going to pull back for you. Yeah. We, um, that's actually a good segue um, because all, reading, reading, read aloud is a very important part of homeschooling, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so do you have a list of books that you choose to read aloud? Um, like I put a bunch in our, uh, our cart to buy uh, later this month. Like the, is it the matchstick gun? Um, oh, I never heard of that one. 
Okay. So I would say there are a few resources that I think are brilliant for helping you, helping you pick historical fiction to read to your kids if you're studying a particular era. Okay. okay. The number one resource in my world has been a book which is now out of print called Let the Authors Speak okay. by Carolyn Hatcher. Okay. You can still get it, uh, you know, from used book sites. Okay. It is absolutely fantastic. She breaks down books by century. And so in her grouping of books, she doesn't say very much about the book. She tells about whether they're historical fiction or whether they're nonfiction. Most of them are historical fiction. Um, she gives a one or two line description of them. She does, you know, hundreds and hundreds of books. So she has to have sort of a um, fairly cryptic key to the books. But mm -hmm. I will tell you this, I have picked dozens, if not a couple of hundred of books out of her, more out of her um, recommendations. I've had her book for years and I have never had a bad book. Okay. Right, she was a homeschooling mom just with years of experience and the, the uh, quality of books she chooses were just phenomenal, okay? okay. So in terms of choosing books from a historical area, there's a couple of other resources that are also excellent. One is uh, a resource called Reading Your Way Through History, which is on a website called lovetolearn.net, L-O-V-E, number two, learn.net. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, .net, and they discuss a lot of historical fiction, but they have this great sort of timeline broken down um, for books you could read in certain historical periods, and also books of the Bible that would uh, cross-reference to those books, uh, stories from Greek mythology or okay. uh, various aspects of history that would line up with with a historical period. A really, really well done list. Shorter, definitely shorter than um, Let the Authors Speak but also an invaluable resource. And what I have done over the years is just every few years, I print off this book list from uh, reading your way through history. And I just put it in a duotang and then I, um, you know, sort of have a checklist of books that I can add in. I also add movies to it. I've added uh, movies over time um, okay. to my list that they provide. Okay. You know, like right now, for example, we're, next year we're looking, Lydia and I are going to start uh, do ancient um, civilizations. And so I'm writing down some movies that would be appropriate. So one of them is the Russell Crowe movie, Noah. Okay. It's yeah. a really interesting uh, uh, movie. And yeah, it's I a think very it'd be a great, interesting take It on is. It. Yeah, it really is. And I, I loved it, but you know, it's got lots of artistic license. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's something that I'd like to watch with her when we are studying ancient civilizations. I think it'd be really appropriate in a couple of Egyptian movies. So, you know, just add those things into your list as well. Can I learn along with Lydia, please? <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be fun. <clears throat> All right, I'll be over. I, yeah, I actually just bought Philip Campbell's um, book, Ancient Civilization, uh, sorry, his, the first volume of his program, Story of Civilization, just the text. And uh, it's Ancient Civilization's and I thought, okay, we'll just use this as sort of our, the spine of our, um, of our study. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to cracking that open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with Land Landscape with Dragons? That book? Yes. I love that book. Yeah, uh, I so do too. My only thing is, is that I, I don't share the opinion that dragons have to always be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes um so just for those listening a landscape with dragons is a beautiful book on historical 
uh, sorry, on Choosing Literature for Your Children by Michael O'Brien. And so it would cover historical fiction, but also a lot of fantasy literature and, and that sort of thing. That would be more, okay, what is it that makes literature appropriate or not appropriate for our children? Okay. And so I think it's a good book for parents to read a great book for a couple to read out loud together, actually, if you mm -hmm. know, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, um, to just discuss the various chapters. Wouldn't that book make a great masterclass? It would. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Let's think about that. Um, <laughs> and so I think that tools for discernment are something that parents should always be equipping themselves with yeah. on, on all levels. What, what is appropriate? What is good? What is beautiful? What is true for my children? Mm -hmm. um, so that would definitely be one to add to your list of tools for discernment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of my critiques apart from dragons having to be bad um, is I have a hard time. He gives a bunch of book recommendations at the end for, mm -hmm. you know, little babies all the way up through adults. Yeah. Um, but at least here in Michigan, our libraries are, gosh, it, like it feels like most of those books aren't available. Yeah. Um, so so that's I think, yeah, I think most homeschoolers recognize the value of books um, and the, the, reason why we would want to invest in them. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the library is a great way to to uh, supplement our our growing homeschool libraries, because for every year that we homeschool, um, you know, our library tends to grow. Okay, so first of all, here's a couple of thoughts on that just as a, as a tangent. One, if people are looking like grandparents, you know, whatever, looking for gifts to get your kids, give them book lists. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a great these are idea. Some real, yeah, these are some books I'd love for my kids. Can't afford them, but I'd love them. Also, when you think about buying purchased curriculum, consider the opportunity cost that you may be giving up on developing your own family library. If you're spending hundreds of dollars, maybe a thousand dollars a year on curriculum, consider how you might build your library. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as part of the opportunity cost of, you know, how you spend your money. Right. right. I think that's an important thing to do and budget, you know, to be able to build right. your library. And I would also yeah. say, don't be afraid to buy used. Oh there, gosh. There yeah. Definitely. Those books that are, you know, prized books that you do want new. I get that. Yeah. But there are other ones that are just great to have. Like Blueberries for Sal is a great book. We have a really oh, yeah. tattered paper one that's still readable, you know, but it's, yeah. you know, there are other books that, you know, we have really nice. And, mm -hmm. so. and I'll tell you something, you know, as you get older, you know, the, the, in most cases, as you get older, kids get older, you know, you, kids start leaving home and all of that, the financial burdens of the early years are, are lessened right mm -hmm. and so when we when our kids started become young adults adults when they started having their own kids we started building their library for them i told my kids you know right off the bat when they started having kids hey listen i'm going to not be the toy grandma i will be the book grandma just oh so my gosh, you know that's the greatest <laughs> <laughs> i know and so but mostly what i've built 
so far that books that we've given them are books that we really loved and they really loved as children. Yeah. And I want them to have those books for their own kids. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and we, of course, we've given them some of ours ones, you know, I'd way rather see them using them than, you know, them sitting on our shelves. You know, right. I, I, I want to have books to read to my grandchildren, but I don't need three bookshelves full of children's books either. Yeah. They just won't get used. Right. Um, but I think that it's a really lovely gift idea as your kids get older to give them a copy that they can take of their favorite books that they can take when they leave home. Yeah. 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 My mother-in-law has uh, given us quite a lot of books from their collection, which has been Aww. just wonderful. Um, so I nice. think in one of our episodes I mentioned, I love Elsa Beskow books. And so this past Christmas, my mother-in-law gifted our Aww. sons with a couple Aww. of those, which was, I was so grateful for, and we've read them yeah. and just love them. And um, so it, it really is, you know, and I mean, my kids are generally always excited to get books. Um, and I, but I know some kids may not seem excited to get books for birthdays or yeah. Christmas, but that appreciation comes, it grows, it grows. Yeah. You know, a day later if, yeah. you know, so yeah. Another, uh, just back to the sort of resources for homeschool for, um, choosing historical fiction. There's one other really amazing resource and that is Bethlehem books. Okay. And if you go on Bethlehem uh, Books website, it has their books categorized into era. Okay. Right. And so that's a really great place. And we've never had a bad Bethlehem book. They're fantastic. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, we're about out of time, but there are definitely more questions. So maybe we should do a part two. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe. So next week yeah. we'll be, uh, we'll be interviewing right. Philip, but um, it's, Let's do one more question. How about okay. that? All okay. All right. Um, so how do you distinguish between vocabulary, vocabulary and grammar? And wh what curriculum would you suggest for either of those or singular? Right. Okay. So I, I have, this will be a short answer because I have no suggestions to make at all okay. because we've only ever used dictation right. for grammar, for uh, vocabulary for all of the language arts up until independent writing okay and so i would really recommend people go back even if your kids are older go back and listen to the dictation uh podcast episode that we did because i i just think it is the most efficient effective way of of understanding language because you are both looking at language in its very technical form um mm -hmm. Uh, you know, putting it under a microscope and sort of analyzing language when you do dictation, but you're also stepping back and looking at it with a telescope mm -hmm. and looking at the beauty and the wonder and the, the purpose of language. So okay. I just can't say enough about dictation as a tool. Right. So yeah, I don't actually have any recommendations because that's okay. been such a successful thing in our life. Okay. So we are definitely using dictation this year. Um, but because vocabulary and grammar are not strong suits for me we right. have chosen to supplement with something called first language lessons for the well-trained mind it's by jesse wise right okay um so i i can't give my opinion on it because we have yet to use it but that is what we are going for so those parents right. who don't feel strong enough in just sticking with solely dictation at this point there right. are resources out there. Maybe if anybody who's listening has suggestions and want to comment on Facebook or Instagram. 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, and also the one book I got when Lydia was maybe 10 or something was just because just she really loves grammar and learning all the grammar rules was a book by Osborne called um, Osborne Grammar and Punctuation, I think. Okay. And, uh, and it's a fantastic little book. If you're not comfortable, just have it sitting beside you. You know, we are doing dictation, either working through it with your child or... Yeah um just using it as your own supplement while you do dictation right okay. because it does take time to kind of learn the skills that you need <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 and okay. you already the thing is you already inherently know it because right. you can speak properly yeah. right so you inherently know it but sometimes um articulating exactly what it what is going on in language is is uh you know is an important part of the program right yeah yeah well, All right. we will definitely do a part two because I wanted to know There's more, so much about, more yeah, dictation and, and all of that. So <laughs> stay tuned, yeah. everyone. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, after we interview Philip, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, okay, so God bless and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Great, thank you. Okay, okay.